in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, in the name of the one who was, who is, and who is to come, the one who lived, died, and rose again. I greet you. Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Ah, yes, I think we've got a majority here today. Uh, one way or the other. Uh, as I said, it is a privilege to be here with you today and to be sharing with you some thoughts on this rather quirky theme that you see up there on the screen. We all have a story. Bones, baggage and luggage. We all have a story, a narrative. You might even call it a script. Throughout life, we get scripted. Every church has a story. Every church has a narrative. You might call that a script too. You see, just like people, churches get scripted through their life cycle. The theologian Walter Brueggemann, uh, who in saying once said we all get scripted, said that this culture's dominant script is therapeutic, sorry, listen to this, therapeutic, technological, consumerist militarism. Does that not sound like our world? Therapeutic, technological, consumerist militarism. And he goes on and says, this script promises safety and happiness, and that script has failed. Now, we could spend a whole lot more time on that theme. Uh, maybe on some other occasion we could uh, play with that uh, in the context of the world in which we're currently living in, this context, the culture uh, in which we find ourselves in. More simply... We get scripted for good and we get scripted for bad. And we also get scripted for a few other things as well. We get scripted by family, by location, by dislocation, by education, by our faith experience, by historic church episodes, by um, the surrounding culture, by the era that we grew up in. My mum and dad grew up in the Great Depression of the late 20s, early, late 1920s, uh, early 1930s. And so that scripted them. My grandkids are growing up in this kind of COVID-ish time and that will script them. I wonder what their story will be, what scripting impact that will have on them as they grow and as they develop. We get scripted also by relationships, by joy, by suffering, by disappointment, by the choices we make and by the choices that sometimes others make around us, by our success and also by our failures. And by so many other things too, they all script us. So let me share with you just for a moment or two some of my story and some of my scripting. When I was about 13 or 14, the church I was a part of, there it is, Redcliffe's Church of Christ up in the northwest of Victoria. It's a more recent photo, the different paint job, slightly different trees. But... The church, when I was about 13 or 14, the church was having a special uh, business meeting. And um, along with other churches of Christ in the area, uh, St. Raysia and beyond in that region, the motion before it was to sell a jointly owned campsite. Um, it was local, it was handy, it was rough and it was ready, but it was ready, of course, to be used by us. Uh, it was at some point in the meeting, I was 13 or 14, at some point in the meeting, I stood up and spoke. Mm. That was unheard of. I basically gave a testimony of the value of the site to young people. 
And on that occasion, maybe it changed later, but on that occasion, the decision, the, the vote was defeated. Afterwards, standing outside, underneath, they were cedar trees then, uh, outside, all the guys were, men were over one side and all the women were over the other side and all of us kids and teenagers weren't too sure where we belonged and which place we should be in. But one of the, one of the um, leaders of the church came over and he uh, looked at me, looked me squarely in the eye and he rather firmly said to me, children should be seen and not heard. Now, I guess I knew then what position he was taking on the, uh, the motion that was before the congregation. But there I was at 13 or 14, thinking through, what on earth am I going to do with that? Another story. On a warm, summery day in February 2012, I was at the Redcliffe's Pioneer Cemetery. See a shot of it up there. For the second time in my life, I was there. I was there to conduct a burial service for 90-year-old Max. Later, I would lead a Thanksgiving service for him at the church I grew up in, that Redcliffe's Church of Christ. Max had taught me in Sunday school when I was a kid, and I'd always respected him and his very practical, simple, but never simplistic Christian faith. It was a faith that was forged on the land as a primary producer and also through personal trial. Yes, personal trial. You see, the other time I was at that cemetery was 45 years before, as a 15-year-old. I was there for the burial of my friend Ross, Max's 16-year-old son. Ross was tragically and accidentally killed, stuck between a packing shed door frame and a reversing truck that was driven by Max. There I was at 15 asking the question, what on earth am I going to do with this event? But on reflection, and much later, of course, um, time um, and age uh, gives us that opportunity to, uh, as it were, get on the balcony and have a look at the, the traffic pattern and the dance floor of our lives and the different events that have had taken place in our lives. And so on, and why it is valuable for us to get on the balcony and look uh, at what's happening at life all around us. And give, it gives us that opportunity to reflect I reflected much later and I realized that both stories could go either way. They could script me for good or they could script me for bad. And I also re reflected and realized that in both I had discovered my vocation. Both scripted me. Because of the first story, I always seek to encourage and empower and release young people, new leaders, uh, and particularly unexpected leaders, the kind of people that are a little bit messy and untidy and haven't really got their lives worked out yet, but they sometimes are just leaders ready to be reoriented. How exciting I find it to work with people like that. And the second scripting was this. Ed, the minister of a nearby church, and being up in the country, that meant about... Um, 50, 100 kilometres away, 100 kilometres away probably, um, drove over to Ross's funeral. Now, we'd met Ed at a regional youth camp, yes, in that campsite that I'd been talking about, <laughs> funnily enough. And I don't remember anything Ed said to me that day at Ross's funeral. I remember nothing of what he said. But what I do remember is that he put his hand on my shoulder and he looked me in the eye. 
He didn't need to say much at all. Much of what I've done and still do or attempt to do in all sorts of expected and unexpected ministry and leadership roles has come from those moments, those places, those spaces. And I've only come to understood that when I took a step back and reflected on them. We all have a story. We all get scripted. Oh, I'm tempted to use this moment. Why don't you just turn to somebody nearby, and I know it's being recorded, and if you're watching it with somebody else, you might like to do the same in that moment. Turn to somebody nearby. What's a story in your life that's shaped you, or I've used the word scripted you? If you're next to your husband and your wife and you'd like a change of view, well, turn and talk to somebody else. But if you haven't talked to a while, for a while with them, take this moment to do so. Just for a minute, what's a part of your story that's scripted you into who you are today? Just a couple of minutes. You're allowed to talk in church. Okay, thank you. You might like to continue that storytelling over morning tea. Or in a life a small group. It's good to be in small groups talking about these things. This is where our stories often come out uh, in the context of a small group. So let me add to the encouragement um, for you to be a part of a small group. Our biblical basis for today is found in that text that Nick read to us a moment ago from Exodus chapter 13. Here God leads his people, uh, the people of Egypt, sorry, the people out of Egypt uh, into the promised land. And and you note, um, as was described, uh, that they take this long detour, much to the annoyance of the grumbling and the stumbling Israelites who at times forgot how God's presence was with them day and night. That gorgeous couple of verses at the end of 21 and 22 uh, there where the Lord guided them by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. That way they would travel, they could travel whether it was day or night and the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from their sight. But today I just want to focus on one verse in that, te- in that uh, passage, uh, verse 19. So if you've got a Bible, you might like to turn it up, but I won't be analysing it word for word, but sense and feeling by feeling. But nevertheless, you can follow it along. Moses, verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear to do this. He said... God will certainly come to help you. When he does, you must take my bones with you from this place. The bones of Joseph. How odd. If you've been around a Christian community for a while, and my guess is that some of you have been, um, you'll know the story of Joseph. Joseph, He was the most loved of Jacob's 12 sons, symbolized in the, in the story by the technicolor dream coat that was popularized by somebody famous years ago. He was the most loved of, of, of those sons. Um, his brothers weren't impressed. They were, in fact, they were quite jealous, and they sold him into slavery uh, in Egypt. Where after some hassles, he earned favor as an interpreter of dreams. This is a snapshot, an interpreter of dreams, uh, and he became governor. Uh, in, a, in a famine, his brothers came to Egypt pleading for supplies. After some toing and froing, of which there was quite a lot, only a part of which I'm sure is in the text, uh, he told them who he was. They reconciled, and he invited the whole family to come and live in Egypt. As I said, 
snapshotting it, headlining it right down. Before his death, he sought their promise. When God, when, when, when God liberates you, notice that? When God liberates you, take my bones with you. Take my bones with you. What an interesting aspect of the Exodus saga. Moses took the bones of Joseph. In his obedience, Moses is linked to a bigger human narrative. His, his family and the entire Israelite heritage and through a promise and a prophecy, God will certainly come. He and the people of Israel are integrated into an even bigger story. The relentless yet at times rather messy unfolding story of God, the creator and father of all humanity that would climax in the death and the resurrection of Jesus and the sending of the spirit, which we celebrate in a sort of sideways way today uh, as the day of Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday. They carried this story with them, the story past and the story future. They carried this story with them. And that is true for us too. We each have a story. We get scripted for good or for bad. And we carry our story, the bad and the good, with us, sometimes remembering, sometimes remembering that we are a part of a bigger story, not just a family story, although we are that, for the bones of our ancestors are always with us. Interesting concept. But also in this far bigger story of God and his kingdom, as people, we carry their bones, these bones, with us. So it is with the church. For Freeway Baptist Church, indeed, Freeway has a story. Freeway has been scripted for good. For bad? Leave that hang. You carry your story, the, good, the bad and the good, with you, sometimes remembering that you are a part of a bigger story, not just a church story or even, God bless them, a BUV story, but that you are... Um, a part of this bigger story of God. For the bones of your ancestors within this church's story, within each of your stories, within the movement of Baptist's story, but then within God's great big family, are always with you. You're part of this bigger story of God and his kingdom, of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Joseph's bones would have been carried with reverence, not as a burden, but as a privilege, because he'd asked them to, and they were obedient. And uh, it was a reminder of God's promise. Surely people on the way would ask, what's in the box? What's in the box? And it gave an opportunity for storytelling. Ah, important. Which, of course, leads me to the other part of this rather quirky theme today of baggage and luggage. Baggage and luggage. We know the common saying about baggage, words that become a sentence. Oh, he or she has baggage. Have you ever heard that before? Emotional or other extra baggage can be a sort of, a sort of coping mechanism, but it weighs us down. It is added to our lives often by unhealthily scripting experiences, sometimes a scripting in family or church or school that could have been constructive, uplifting and life bringing, but it was something else. 
Baggage bends our back, breaks our heart, extinguishes hope, and snuffs out the spirit. It is a smaller story. Luggage is something different again. Um, We carry or we roll luggage along. Uh, often quite proudly. Maybe it contains clothes for that holiday we're going on. Maybe it it includes some mementos of various life stages because we're moving from one place to another. Maybe it's a collection of our favourite books. (sighs) Or maybe it's other bones of our bigger story of going somewhere, somewhere. Sometimes people might ask, what's in your luggage? But rarely are we asked, what's in that baggage? Sidebar, the value of small groups. End of third plug. For me, approaching the cross of Jesus through prayer, worship, and or the Lord's Supper, communion, is where that question is asked. It is asked. What's in your baggage? It reminds me of a poignant part of that old 17th century book, uh, John Bunyan's uh, The Pilgrim's Progress. And there's an almost as ancient um, depiction of it um, uh, for your focus and possible humour. Pilgrim, after his long life journey, comes to some higher ground on top of which is a cross. Below it, down the hill, is a grave. And as Pilgrim reaches the cross, and stands to take it in, the heavy bundle on his back, baggage, baggage, slides from his back, rolls down the hill, and falls into the grave, never to be seen again. The book is a reminder that recognising, let alone letting go of baggage, or the notion even of turning it into luggage, often takes time and caring conversations, a prayerful pilgrimage, as does reframing our story, our scripting, as it was for me in those two stories that I told you about earlier, knowing that although I didn't choose the events and their impact, I always could choose my response to them. Would I be bitter or would I be better? As it may have been or might need to be for you in some area of your story or your scripting. And so as we move into a time of communion, I do invite you to prayerfully consider the bones you carry. (laughs) Your scripting. And silently, if it is true, express your gratitude for something in your story that once was baggage and has now vanished, or maybe now is luggage, and, or maybe even so, acknowledge something that is still baggage, something that still requires time and care and prayer. And as you come to the table to collect the simple emblems that represent the body of Jesus, that was broken for you and the blood of Jesus that was shed on purpose, not spilt accidentally, shed 
on purpose for you, you might like to bring that thought with you. That thought of gratefulness and gratitude for something that was baggage that is now luggage. Also that thought about something that continues to be baggage and yet needs work to be done. And as you come and as you collect the COVID-friendly elements and take them back to your seat, before you leave, you might like to metaphorically, as it were, in your imagination, leave on the table at the cross those thoughts that you have of gratitude or of desire or need or pain or loss that is yet to be worked on in your story, in your scripting. Can we pray together? Gracious, generous God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the way that you are at work in our lives, in our story. We thank you that you are scripting us with love and with grace and with mercy and that that is liberating and freeing and releasing us into the people to be the best version uh, that we can be of ourselves that is in, created in your image and being recreated in the image of your son through your spirit. We thank you for, for your love expressed in Jesus' death on the cross his body broken, his blood shed, that through faith connects us with you and by faith is in the process of changing us and renewing us and giving us luggage to roll along and stories to tell. Bless this time and these elements to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Please uh, feel free just to come uh, in your own time uh, to collect the elements, uh, take them back. And as I said, if there's anything to metaphorically leave at the table, please feel free um, to do that at the moment. And then I'll be back with you in a little while um, just to uh, wrap up where we're going. I'm indicating that today, uh, if you just, uh, as you come forward and move back to your seat, just feel free to take the bread and the cup in your own time. It's your own connection and your own story that is going uh, that is being un uh, if you will un unzipped as we unzip the uh, the elements together today so please feel free in your own time to share and to eat and drink the apostle paul said uh, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup you are announcing the lord's death until he comes we actually participate in, we enter into that story and it enters into our story. What a gift. And about being scripted. Walter Brueggemann, who I mentioned earlier, suggests that the Christian script stands as a stark alternative to this culture's dominant script. And I would add that maybe it, stands in stark as a stark alternative even to some of our personal scripting and that the work of christians who i define as or as people who like us who are working out what it means to follow jesus in these crazy days of the 21st century and the 
the work of our, of our work, our vocation and our calling, our mission and ministry, if you will, is to live out of that and to live within that alternative script and to live it out before the watching world. As an order of local missionaries, each of us is a sign, witness and foretaste of the kingdom so that people would ask us to explain what's in the box, what's in the luggage, what's your story. In thinking about this message about bones, that quirky title, I sensed that we could also give attention to what may be for some a very familiar passage about bones also in the Old Testament. And so I'm going to read that as our conclusion and in effect as our concluding prayer. Um, It is a little longer than you might be expecting a concluding prayer to be. But let's roll with it. Because in these times of transition, in this era of unsettledness, that sometimes can create dryness or can result in, shall I say, dryness in our being, in our relationships, in our spirituality even. Like in this season of endless, unexpected COVID-19 interruptions. It seems like a good text to conclude with. And I'll conclude it and share it with you as a reading to go. Would you like that to go? Yes. Ezekiel 37. The Lord took hold of me. And I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. And he led me around among the old dry bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground. And then he asked me, son of man, can these bones become living people again? Oh, sovereign Lord, I replied, you you alone know the answer to that. And then he said to me, speak to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to breathe into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you'll come to life. And then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke these words just as he told me. Suddenly, as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as they had been before. And then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones and their skin, then skin formed to cover their, their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. And then he said to me, speak to the winds and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, O breath, from the four winds, breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. So I spoke as he commanded me. And the wind entered the bodies and they began to breathe. And they all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army of them. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel, the biggest story. And they, they are saying, we have become old dry bones. All hope is gone. Now, now give them this message from the sovereign Lord. Oh, my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, oh, my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I'll put my spirit in you and you will live and return home to your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. You will see that I've done everything just as I promised. I, the Lord, have spoken.